0: Just got to dust the rust off these cobwebs, these rusty cobwebs of mine, because it's been a few weeks. It's been about three weeks now, maybe a month, no, three weeks, since I've sat down at the table, rolled up the microphone, not rolled it up, uh, drawn the microphone towards my mouth, and spoke these words. Welcome to the Boondoggle podcast. Yeah, I've tried a few intros now. And um, that was what we're going for. The one that you've just heard. That's the one that I've went for. What do you know? And it is a new decade. 2021. No, it's not just a new year. It's a new decade. We're now into the 2020s. No, it's not, I hear you say. But yes, it is. You hear me say. Because... um. 2000, uh, the year 2000 was the last year of the 2000s millennium, of the second millennium. And so if you follow from that, then we are now, so 2020, once the end of 2020 has happened, the year 2021 is the year, start of a new decade. So where are those end of decade lists now? I was doing that a lot at the end of last year, Uh, not at the end of last year, at the end of the year before, uh, when all these lists were coming out, and it it tends to piss people off. But I'm just doing it because I heard it on the West Wing. But, yeah, it's 2021, and it's the Boondoggle podcast, and I'm sorry that I've been away for a few weeks, but we all need a little Christmas rest, don't we? Clear the... Not clear the head, necessarily. Um, But people need a rest. And I'm glad I got to do a Christmas special because I've always wanted to do a Christmas special of something. But I've never had any output to do it of. Like, I guess every year my life has a Christmas special, but um, so does everyone's. I've never... um, Not that I wrote these stories... I've never found a Christmas special little pamphlet in a in a bush or anything anywhere before until this year so I'm quite happy that I got to do that and here's to many more Christmas specials of the Boondoggle podcast in the future. And so if you're listening I got to do the the introduction. This is the Boondoggle podcast. I am Alex Boone and it's a podcast where I read stories from a book that I found in a bush. Not that I wrote. No, I just keep finding these books in bushes around Manchester uh, and uh, the Oxfordshire area. Um, Yeah, it's full of them. I'm surprised anyone else hasn't found a boondoggle book yet, to be honest. Um, But I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the drunk podcast that I did at the end of last year, the Christmas special. Because, frankly... Well, when I was doing it, I was enjoying it, but I was thinking, this is un- unusable. This is nonsense. I burped three times. I thought I'd edit them out, but then they really made me laugh in the edit. So I yeah kept them in. And I hope that you enjoyed them too. Because in my opinion, I've had this debate with many people. What is more... Uh, Obtrusive, intrusive, what is more offensive, a burp or a fart? And I would often, I'd rather somebody farted than burped. Sorry to bring it down to toilet humor straight away, but I would. Burps are projectile at uh, nose height, at face height, they're projecting gaseous airs from the stomach uh, right into your face, right into your nostrils. Whereas a fart, uh, and they're, they're usually quite, uh, you know, dominating, you might say. They're usually quite out there. Um, and they're just like, you know, they can take you off guard and it just can baffle you. And then you get all the the whiffy airs of somebody's stomach business going on. But a fart, um, you know, it's a, it's a bum height. So by the time it hits your nostrils, it's, uh, well, it can be quite offensive still, but it's dissipated a little bit. It's not, it's not projectile. Well, depends how you do it, but it shouldn't be. Um, And so, yeah, in most occasions, farts are more funny, less offensive than burps. But in these occasions, uh, during the podcast, you know, you can't smell my whiffy, gaseous airs within my stomach. So, I kept them in. I haven't farted on the podcast yet, because that's from a private life, and you've got to keep some things private. Um, but I am going to do, yeah, three more episodes this year, because as I said, we're doing a 12-episode season that has dragged out over 16 weeks, maybe, Um yeah so three more episodes this one and two more and yeah luckily I found a book with um yeah that enough enough stories in and so yeah we'll crack on with them I think and then I will well I'll tell you what I'm doing later in the year at the end of the podcast I think we'll begin with this story this story is called Crikey, It's the Hogans. Uh. Oh, I will edit that one out, will I? Well, you won't hear it if I do. Okay, so it's called Crikey, It's the Hogans. G'day, gentlemen, and I see a few ladies out there too. You know the score. Keep your paws to yourself, unless you're putting a little penny in the pocket of our girls. Put them together now for our girl, Mudguard Stripling. She strutted out onto the stage in full lycra, her yellow jersey tempting the audience with a little cleavage, but her full face helmet giving nothing away. Her high heels, although not well suited to the cycling theme, were goddamn sexy. See, the men could only go along with the cycling theme to a point. They were big fans of cycling in Sydney, but it is physically impossible to turn anybody on while wearing a pair of cycling cleats. They cause what is known in the scene as phantom schlong, a case of the organ shrinking back within the body and being undetectable to the owner and to any viewers. Anyway, the cycling theme was a secondary thought when she chose her name. It was predominantly on the basis of a tribute to her parents' favourite author, Rudyard Kipling. She initially tried a strip show in the character of Mowgli, but half her work was done by the time she got to the stage, You can't spend ten minutes peeling off a pair of pants. People get impatient. Her parents, Rudy and Rog Hogan, presented an internationally recognised show, Crikey, it's the Hogan's, in which they travelled to wild areas, encountering dangerous creatures and saying, Crikey, and then dealing with them in their own manner. The title, I imagine, is what the animals must be thinking when they come into contact with the pair. These guys were Australia's ultimate couple. They even gave birth to their only child, Rogan Hogan, halfway up a cliff face. The nation rejoiced as they believed the future face of the nation had just been born. But a school trip to Sydney at the age of 16 gave Rogan Hogan a taste for the city life. The running water, the electricity, the plumbing, and by the age of 18, their stripping life came calling. Her parents were disappointed, and her naming gesture did little to appease them. But that's why Mudguard Stripling was her chosen name, and she'd gained quite a lot of attention within her niche. She gathered up her lycra and her helmet and headed back to the changing room. "Flippin' egg, Mudguard! What a show!' said Jen Flick, her mentor and all-round stripping guru. "'They were eating out of my hand, weren't they?' Dig in, boys, I was thinking. There's enough to go around. Take a seat, would you, gal? Jen's tone changed. Oh, fuck off, Jen, you shitting with me. Take a seat, gal. Oh, fucking am, all right? It's your parents. They're dead. Dead? They're in the UK. You gotta be kidding me. Trampled by cows. Oh, come on, Jen. Come off it. Cows? I eat cows for breakfast. No, that's pigs. Cows are for dinner. Oh, yeah. Dinner, then. Still, you can't get killed by an animal in the United Fucking Kingdom, can you? You can, Mudguard. You can. A week later, Mudguard was in the church waiting for her gran to speak lovingly of her parents. We can all sit here, mourning these two all day long, speaking all kindly about what fantastic memories we have of the pair, but I ain't spending any time on it. Why, every year, three people are trampled to death by cars in the United Kingdom. Sensing she was a lost cause, the vicar ushered her off stage. Following the speeches, Mudguard's relatives gave her short shrift. There was a time when she got long shrift from them, Now all she got was the short shrift. Sensing her loneliness, a heavily coiffured man, salt and pepper hair and a spray on tan, approached. How's it going, Rogan? he said. She was taken aback. Name's Stu. I used to work with your parents. Oh, okay. When was that? Well, uh, quite recently, up until, you know... uh, they were trampled by cows. Okay. We were actually meant to be doing a trip to Vancouver Island. Did they tell you that? No, uh, we, we 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 haven't spoken in a while. Blimey, uh, how come? Well, uh, I'm in Sydney and they don't know how to use a phone. It's actually because she's a stripper now. Very well. Uh, Anyway, I didn't come over just for a natter. You see, this trip we had planned, we'd already booked the flights and everything. Ah, that's a a shame, said Mudguard. You know, because we thought we were going to make a show to stick on the TV for all the boys and girls at home to watch. Ah, yeah, I I bet you did. I can't do it now, can you? Well, that's what I thought then I had an idea you you could be the new Hogan crikey it's Rogan Hogan uh, I'm, an, I'm a bit busy actually ah oh, fuck off mate you're now Australia's number one adventurer you were born in the wild raised in the wild you're a natural yeah, yeah I, I know what I'm doing out there don't get me wrong it's just I'm uh, I'm busy. Rogan, we've bought everything already. You can't do this to us. Packed lunches, bought. Uh, what else? What? Well, well, you uh, you sounded like you were starting a list there. Yes, I was. Sandwiches, bought. Crisps, bought. Yogurts in little squeezy pouches, bought. They're they're, they're just in the pack lunches. Look here, Rogan. Let me tell you something. He changed his tone, becoming ever so intense. We were planning to build a statue for your parents, right here in the outback. But the thing is, we've just spent a lot of money on this trip. Sandwiches, squeezy yoghurts, flights. So if we don't get a show out of this... "'Well, I don't think we're going to be able to afford that statue. "'You wouldn't want to let your parents down, would you?' "'This hit her deep, but she didn't let Stu know it. "'I'll uh, I'll think it over, Stu. Give you a call tomorrow.' "'She darted off to get some time to herself. "'Stu headed back to his friend in the corner, "'a penguin-like figure with rosy cheeks and a squashed-up nose.' Hey boss, the thing is, uh, I don't think she knows anything about the, uh, natural world. What are you talking about, Bunce? Well, she's a, she's a stripper, boss. She hasn't seen a brown snake in five years. Are we in the TV business or not, Mr. Bunting? He said. Well, we, we are in the TV business. And what a people like more than watching a master at work? I don't know, boss. Watching someone fall and head over biscuit and making a tit of themselves. And he laughed a belly full of chuckles. Hmm, so we're taking a trip over to Australia for that story. I've actually been working on my uh, accents over Christmas. I don't know if you heard. Uh, we have got this game called Accentuate, which um, you basically uh, you say a certain quote in a different accent, and uh, yeah, you gotta people have got to guess what it is. And if I do say so myself, I think my Australian is a pretty sport on, mate. And there there there's a lot of different characters in that story, wasn't there? Um, And uh, they all have different voices. So, although I've struggled in the past with almost every other accent, uh, well, let's see if any Australians get back to me on this, but I think I've got it spot on. And not too offensive. Can you offend an Australian? Text in. Yeah, so there's a story for you about a, a stripper who um, wants to... Well, she doesn't want to become a uh, an adventurer. She's forced into it. Uh, and we'll see what happens to her next week. This is just a three-part story. I've had a little flicker head. And, yeah, there's three parts to the story of Mudguard stripling. And, well, it's a, it's, it's an interesting one. It really is, because can the things you learn in the strip club be taken to the white wilderness? I don't know. I haven't tried it, but Mudguard Stripling is being forced into it. So that is what we're going to have to find out next week. (laughs) I got over the Christmas period... ...is a game called Secret Hitler. Now, let me explain to you how this game works. So Secret Hitler... Let me just find my little notes. I haven't written notes on Secret Um Secret Hitler is a very fun game. But I don't know. I keep bringing this up with people. Is Secret Hitler offensive the The game is um is similar to mafia um in that if you ever played mafia the the car game there certain people are the mafia they're they're the bad guys and uh they've got to keep quiet and they've got to make their way through the game uh trying to kill off the civilians and the civilians have got to try and work out who the mafia are and kill them off and then secret hitler is similar in that it's a bit more complex um you have the president you've got the chancellor and two or three people uh one person is hitler two or three people are fascists and they've got to try and pass fascist policies to the system and the liberals have got to try and take them down basically they've got to try and pass liberal policies and try and find out who Hitler is so there's a lot of talking a lot of conversation there's like an election bit and it's very political Um, and it's a great game but I do have this dilemma in that I'm sure during the whole uh, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party debate um, over the last year, if somebody found a copy of this board game in um, in Jeremy Corbyn's cabinet, not his political cabinet, his board games cabinet, it wouldn't be a good image. But I mean, the game is not you don't basically you don't want to be Hitler and. There's no there's no pretense in the game that Hitler is a good guy. The fascists are the baddies and they've got to be in secret. And the liberals are the good guys and they've got to take down the fascists. But yeah. It's something that uh I would think t- would I think twice if I had um if I brought it out amongst some Jewish friends. Well, write in and let me know if you think Secret Hitler is an offensive board game. Oh, by the so the the fascist policies, they there's not like anything written. It's not like I'm not going to give an example now, but it just it's a little card that says fascist policy on it. So you don't, um, yeah. It's one of those one of those things. Should you be able to have a little fun involving Hitler? I don't know. But then I found out that it was actually made by... One of the people who made Cards Against Humanity. And that is not a good look. Because, um, yeah, I was trying trying to argue that it's not made to be offensive. But then, well, Cards Against Humanity clearly is. So, yeah but fun game anyway you could change it to secret um mussolini if you want you could change it to secret secret fat tony you know it you can work on on all kinds of levels but um yeah it's one of those things For another story, and this story is called Pants Man Origins. Oh, get me out of these pants, man, said Chantelle to herself as she got herself out of her tight pants after a long day at the office, and bang! pantsman appeared in a flash and before she knew it she was wearing pants once again with a flick of his wrist he'd removed a red pair of y-fronts from himself and thrown them right up her legs it's because you've got your pants on he called out his famous catchphrase clicked his fingers like the fawns, gave her a cheeky wink and disappeared once again leaving poor Chantelle wearing pants when all that she wanted was to be rid of them for a second time that evening she wearily removed her pants. Bloody Pants Man, she said, throwing the red pair to the floor. And then, bang! Pants Man was back. He flicked his wrist again, this time causing a blue pair of Y fronts to slide down his own legs and settle at the pelvis of Chantel. It's because you got your pants on, he said, clicked his fingers, cheeky wink, and goodbye again. No! Chantel fell backwards onto her bed and screamed. I hate you, Pants! M-A-N! But he was gone. It all changed for Pants Man when he was but one year old. Back then, he was known as Jimmy Whiff. He had been crawling around the kitchen floor, exploring all avenues as babies do. As the thunder cracked loud around the house, he found solace when he climbed into a futuristic little hole. It was shiny and metal, and every time he tried to climb the walls, they would spin. It was barrels of fun, and just when he thought things couldn't get much better, a heap of dirty underwear was thrown on top of him. Haven't seen Jimmy, have you? came the words from outside his futuristic little hole, but being one year old, he didn't know what they meant. He ignored the stink and carried on playing in the bundle of undies. Then things took a different turn. The door slammed shut and water began spewing out from the undies. No, not from the undies. Spewing out from the sides, making monstrous gargling sounds. This little hole wasn't so fun anymore, and now it span of its own accord. Round and round he went, tumbling about with the pants. Jimmy Whiff was well and truly stuck in the washing machine. He hadn't been in there half an hour when a crack of lightning struck the house. It surged electricity through the circuitry and into the washing machine. The door popped open and Jimmy was sent flying into the washing machine, resting beneath the door, where he landed covered in pants. His mother came running into the room to see the commotion and screamed as she saw Jimmy Whiff lying in the washing basket with the rest of the underwear. He looked back at her and giggled, then released a little Jimmy Whiff of detergent. She picked him up and hugged him to her chest as the screams turned to tears of joy, tears of relief. From that day on, the utterance of Pants Man had sent him jet-setting around the world, mainly to America. Oh, where are my pants, man? Came the call of many Californian teens. Imagine their surprise when a baby appears on their bedroom floor, only to disappear again a few seconds later once his mother had uttered Pants Man to recall him. Throughout his early years, the whole putting pants on people was never a thing he just put up with the teleportation before returning to whatever he was doing at the time. But now, at 18, he'd learnt to control the power, able to return home using his own mind. And after much nagging from his mother, he realised he needed a purpose. And why else would people be saying Pants Man unless they needed some Pants Man, he thought in the naive mind of the teenager. So he donned a dozen pants daily, ready to whip them off when called to arms. Silly, silly Jimmy Whiff. So here he was, Pants Man, the people's pilot of pantless people. He returned from Chantel's place, one pair of pants less and feeling pretty pleased with himself. As all famous people have done, he logged onto Twitter to have a look at all the praise he was getting. He searched his name. Oh dear, oh dear, Mr Pantsman. The timeline was an endless barrage of hate for Pantsman. Who does Pantsman think he is? I know when I need pants or not. Who else hates Pantsman's catchphrase? It's because you've got your pants on. It's nonsense. You've ruined my life because you've got your pants on. I was trying to go to the toilet, then Pantsman ruined everything including the pants he'd just put on me. I've just been to the store and there aren't any pants, man. That one wasn't about him, but it wasn't great to hear either. He slumped in his chair and stared at the computer screen, continuing to scroll slowly, taking in all the hate. His life's work was meaningless, worse than meaningless, destructive. He felt a little bit like Oppenheimer after the atom bomb had been dropped not quite as bad, but similar. He took himself up to his bedroom and began removing the ten pairs of pants remaining. He didn't want to ruin any more lives. Each pair felt like they were burning in his soft hands. With the little energy he had, he flung them to the side. One by one, he rid himself of this burden until a singular pair of pants remained. Then BANG! He disappeared. He found himself in an empty school changing room. There was no sign of anyone without pants. He briefly gazed around, then took a seat on the bench. It had been a long time since he would sat in just one pair of pants, and it felt strange to do so now. He felt the cold wood of the bench in his buttocks immediately. Hello? A quiet voice came from around the corner. Pantsman followed it leading to a set of 3 shower cubicles. Pants man? I am Pants man no more. Pants man, I need you. Nobody needs me. I have ruined many lives. I've hung up my last pair of pants. You've come without pants? "'Well, apart from the pants I'm wearing... "'I... I... I have no pants,' said the voice inside. "'The lock tentatively slid back, and the cubicle door opened, "'revealing a skinny little boy, dripping wet and wearing nothing at all. "'They... they stole my pants, my towel, and all my clothes,' "'said the boy, looking up at him desperately. "'You... "'Need me? I need you, Pants Man.' So Pantsman tucked his thumbs into the waistband of his own pants and removed them, leaving him as naked as the boy in front. He passed them over to the boy who gratefully placed them upon himself, a little on the large side, but nothing to complain about. "'Aren't you going to say it?' said the boy. Say what? Your catchphrase. You don't want to hear that nonsense. It's silly. Say it, Pants Man. Please. Pantsman took a deep breath, mustering up a little confidence. Please. He clicked his fingers, winked, then said it. It's because you've got your pants on. And then it was goodbye. A little superhero story, in a way. In uh, in a kind of more real way than, um, if early listeners will remember, Iron Deficiency Man. Um, because Iron Deficiency Man, uh, he was not really given powers. He wanted powers more than uh, he was given them, but... Pantsman was given this ability um, through some sort of supernatural means, um, kind of re- resembling that through that happened in Misfits. Um, and he, yeah, it's an interesting power, uh, and he, he's quite a lot like Captain Underpants, um, except uh, Captain Underpants's powers. Didn't really have anything to do with pants, it was more uh, to do with his uniform. Um, but this guy, I guess it's a difficult one being Pants Man because you want to make yourself useful, and it can be quite irritating getting uh, jet-setted around the world at the utterance of Pants Man um, because often. There's very few opportunities where people uh, need pants. Except at Christmas, um, I'm often found, when I go back to my family home, I'm often found running around the family home, up and down the stairs, um, saying, where are my pants? Because um, I don't do the washing, and so the pants um, go somewhere. And I don't bring home enough pants um, to, for just, I don't bring home enough pants. It's the, the, the brunt of it is the cold hard facts. I don't bring home enough pants. And so I'm found running around the house saying, where are my pants? And it's times like that where I could do with a pair of pants. If only Pants Man was real and not fiction. But, yeah, we might be hearing more from Pantsman Man in the future now that he, um, if he can just keep off Twitter and not drive himself mad with, um, you know, because everyone's just mean on Twitter, you're only going to find the mean stuff. Uh, if he can just do that, then I'm sure he'll find a way uh, to make himself useful in this pantless world. No, it's not a pantless world. It's a world full of pants, but sometimes they go missing so that was a summary of that story in a way and I liked it yeah so a bit rusty a bit rusty this week it's been a few weeks uh, and that's what happens if you don't talk into a microphone for a month two more episodes I think I might write a novel this year It's weird because, yeah, obviously, given that I didn't write these stories, I've obviously never written a story in my life. So I'm just going to jump in at the deep end, write a novel. And I might um, use, you know, one of these short stories that I found in the boondoggle, I might use them as like a little basis for that and just hope that the author of the boondoggle doesn't catch on. Maybe they're like Banksy. But people do know who Banksy is because Banksy gets a lot of money. All right. So uh, yeah, the Twitter, Alex Boondoggle. Why do I, why do I share that anymore? Yeah, follow me if you want. The Twitter, Alex Boondoggle. The Instagram, the Boondoggle Pod, and the website, theboondoggle.co.uk. Um, See you later, boondoggers, and keep on boondogging.